Welcome to episode 129 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. Joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag, and we've got a special end-of-year wrap-up where Anshul and I are going to talk about um, initially two important happenings this year in the world of 5G, and then we're each going to provide a prediction for next year. So with that said, let's get started with my first look back to 2022. And I got to give T-Mobile um, you know, a little bit of visibility here and what they're doing to sort of transform their go-to-market with respect to focusing on enterprise. And, you know, as you and I have talked, uh, my friend on prior podcasts, you know, for from years past, T-Mobile was very, very disruptive in the consumer space, but very, very light with respect to what they were doing in the enterprise relative to competitors, AT&T and Verizon. But in 2022, that changed remarkably. And you and I um, had an opportunity to spend time with T-Mobile um, at their first analyst summit. We, uh, we co-authored a Forbes article uh, that our chief analyst, Patrick Moorhead, also contributed to. But from my perspective, the company has come a long way with respect to enterprise. They have their advanced network solutions um, that are based on different industry verticals that we've spoken to in the past. And um, I really like their approach uh, in offering uh, both public, private, and hybrid networking solutions to address some of these use cases within um, smart city IoT manufacturing and that sort of thing. So um, again, um, give the company kudos as they as they more uh, adequately balance out their focus on consumer and the enterprise. And I'm expecting to see big things at you know at the analyst summit. Um, they, they threw up a, a slide with, you know, different logos. Some of that was under non-disclosure, but I do expect that uh, as, as we move into next year, that we're going to be hearing a lot more from T-Mobile for Business. So before you move to your first look back, would you like to add anything to that? Yeah, I think T-Mobile for Business is definitely, you know, changing the landscape, um, both for 5G private solutions, but also for enterprise in general. Yeah. Um, I think that they have shown that T-Mobile now is more of a, um, you know, enterprise and consumer operator. Obviously, there's a lot more, you know, time and 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 work to be done uh, to make them a big player in the space. But it seems like um, they've really started from a good place. Um, and I also commend them for not jumping the gun um, and doing things too quickly. Um, and I think that they are, you know, in a constantly listening mode, trying to understand what their customers might need and how they can satisfy new customers. So um, it'll be really interesting to see how this works out long term. Um, but I think the, you know, the, the realization is that the enterprise use cases for 5G in many ways are much greater than the consumer ones, at least, especially this early on. I, I agree. I, you know, I believe, and I think I've spoken to this on prior podcasts, I, I think over 90% of um, the really disruptive use cases around 5G will be in the enterprise space. And I think half of that addressable market will be in manufacturing automation. But yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, obviously they're playing catch up with their competitors, but um, I'm looking forward to more news from them in the new year. But with that said, let's go to your first look back and you want to talk about 5G network maturity. Yeah, so I think... The, the real vague reason I chose uh, 5G networks maturity um, is just because, you know, 
if we just look at the U.S. market, and I know we'll broaden from there, but um, if you just look at the U.S. market, this is the year that Verizon and AT&T both rolled out their mid-band networks. Yeah. Um, and this is also the year where their networks actually started to catch up to where T-Mobile was. Mm -hmm. um, and then we saw T-Mobile not only continue to roll the 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 rollout of their their mid band network, which I would argue, um, you know, came into its own earlier this year, if not last year. Yeah. Um, and I think if you look at like the you know they're now doing three carrier aggregation, um, and they're already and they're doing standalone across all bands that they're offering. Um, so it's it's really interesting because um, you know, all the networks are much more mature. Um, and I think the 5G experience today is considerably better across all three major carriers in the U.S. than it was, say, at the beginning of the year. And I would say um, the experience overall is much better. And uh, I think consumers will probably forget about how unhappy they were last year uh, with their 5G networks. Um, and I think you know, these these maturity thing, you know, there, there will be continued improvements. Um, I think Verizon, AT&T, um, we'll talk about something later in the podcast we'll be doing. Um, but I think if you broaden it to a more global scale, you know, India finally launched their 5G network. You know, China has standalone in some places. Yeah. And Europe is, you know, really gaining momentum overall um, yeah. and, and starting to adopt standalone as well. So um, I, I think we're we're seeing the the beginnings of true 5G as uh, you know, uh, the next topic may may we'll be bringing up later in the podcast is I think the future for 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 five G networks overall. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, a lot of progress this year. I mean, one of the challenges in the United States was with AT and T and Verizon and their mid band spectrum gap, like you mentioned. Um, C band allowed them to close the gap there and to begin to deploy it. And you know, both AT and T and Verizon have made um, a lot of inroads in getting uh, that mid-band spectrum deployed. You know, T-Mobile was in the enviable position, having those 2.5 gigahertz assets from, from the Sprint uh, merger acquisition. And so that's given them, you know, a head start. We've talked about that in the past, but but I agree with you. I mean, things are starting to finally coalesce. And what I'm going to be really excited about next year is, and you're going to talk a little bit more about this on your on your look forward, is just um, once these networks become mature um, to start seeing some of these enterprise and consumer use cases that flow out of it. So um, 2023 should be actually really exciting. So, but let me do my second look back for this year. And I want to talk about private networking and 5G as a service. So I think, you know, I, I would kind of call 2022 the year of disaggregation, cloudification uh, from a telecom perspective, and then really, you know, private networking and 5G as a service. And this is going to allow the the you know from my perspective mobile network operators to monetize what they're investing um, in these next generation 5G networks beyond access and you know manufacturing automation I, I talked about that that earlier when I was talking about T-Mobile and its business focus um, I think we're going to start we're going to see a lot of these POCs these proof of concepts uh, move into production I think we're going to see a lot more momentum and then the other the other point that I'll make around this is that there are multiple paths to private cellular networking. Um, 5G as a service has, has risen um, from the likes of uh, Cisco and, and HPE as well. 
Um, Solana, you know, I've spoken about Solana in the past. They're a startup that's been partnered with, with HPE Aruba. Um, they're beginning to see uh, lots of momentum. I think, um, you know, just recently there was a fierce wireless, uh, the article that talked about, about Solana. But at the end of the day, um, I think you're going to start seeing some maturity with respect to, again, moving from, from proof of concepts into deployments. And, and really, the timing couldn't be better with um, a lot of reshoring of manufacturing coming back to the U.S., um, based on you know concerns around China and supply chain and that sort of thing, and um, and you know manufa manufacturing automation is going to be key, um, and also you know there's no secret that um, we need to improve semiconductor uh, production as well. TSMC has opened um, a facility in Arizona. Um, Samsung is committed um, to building a brand new fab just outside of my hometown uh, of Austin and, and Taylor. And so the timing couldn't be better. And I think we're going to see a lot of, um, again, a lot of examples of the practicality of private networking as well as 5G as a service. But what are your thoughts there? I think there's some really interesting uh, things that are occurring. You know, I think the, the one that really caught my eye was the T-Mobile announcement that happened, I think, last week. Yeah. Um, where they basically just said, we're cloudifying the whole thing with Cisco. Mm -hmm. Um. And I think, you know, I think all the conversations that I've had with AWS at reInvent um, and just in general is that like, it seems like um, a lot of uh, networks are becoming much more um, flexible as they need to be. Yeah. Um, and, and the best way of doing that is to having, you know, to have some kind of cloudification strategy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think long-term that's going to continue to become a thing, especially as edge needs to come closer to the user yeah. um, because the way the word edge is um, almost as dynamic as the networks are becoming. Right. Um, and as a result of that, I think we're just going to see more cloudification and pushing things closer to the edge. Um, but you know what? I also think the, the one thing I've always noticed in, in the tech industry and kind of almost in, in, as like a function of the universe is there's like consolidation and then there's like re, um, you know, increasing of entropy. So there's like this constant way ebb and flow of centralization and decentralization. I think right now we're moving towards a decentralization, but I have a feeling there will be a point where we re-centralize -re things once again. Yeah. And um, I think that will happen with 5G networks as well. Yeah, you know, and you, you talk about edge computing. I mean, when, when I'm asked about, you know, what's the importance of edge with respect to 5G, um, I liken it to uh, basically being a supercharger. So, you know, putting computing resources closer to the creation of data at that, that you know, that near edge, far edge, however you want to define it, um, is going to, um, you know, unlock, you know, performance. And, you know, that's why we're seeing, um, you know, the, the mobile network operators in the U.S. in particular um, investing very heavily in, um, in MEC with, with AWS and, and Azure and, and Google um, cloud platform to a lesser degree. But, um, yeah, I couldn't agree, you know, further with you um, on that point. But with that, let's go to your second look back this year. And you want to talk about fixed wireless access. Yeah, I wanted to talk about, talk about FWA um, mostly because... I feel like it was something that you and I um, saw coming this year. 
Yeah. Um, and it very much it was a was a thing this year. Um, and I think um the reason why FWA is a big deal and why I think it's worth talking about this year is one, it it offers people real competition and choice when it comes to internet. Um, and I also think that it it gives operators long term um, you know, another opportunity to to increase subscribers, find new revenue sources, and also potentially offer bundling deals, um, which we know operators love to do. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, long term FWA has this this capability and I believe this superpower to give people access to the internet um, and faster speeds that they might not have ever had um, because no one would ever dig, you know, to their premises or, you know, they just never had anything because no one bothered. Yeah. And now with FWA, you know, we could have people in rural areas getting upwards of 50 to 100 megabits where they used to maybe get a megabit if they right. even, you know, if they even got that. So um, I really think that FWA this year was a big deal. And, you know, I think it's made a lot of waves uh, across the industry and, and the momentum is is still, you know, going strong. Yeah, I agree. You know, and I think I've stated this before, you know, I kind of point to fixed wireless access as 5G's first killer use case, right? And to your point, yeah. um, you know, especially in rural areas where it's going to be completely cost prohibitive to lay fiber, although um, you have AT&T that's investing in certain parts of rural America to build out fiber and to sort of, you know, basically plant a franchise so that they can build revenue off of the fixed broadband as well as have the fiber, you know, support, you know, critical backhaul for 5G. But, and I've spoken about FWA as well. I mean, it's going to be a critical critical element in my mind in bridging the digital divide. And I completely agree with you this year. Um, we saw T-Mobile surpass 2 million subscribers. Um, Verizon is adding subscribers to its service, although their challenge has been, um, you know, getting, you know, getting that up to be a service, you know, um, on their on their mid-band spectrum. Um, T-Mobile has has done that at the low end, um, and they're and they're, you know, well on their way to building out um, their their mid-band, you know, um, FWA service as well. Uh, and also, T-Mobile is able to offer now um, a business internet version of that. I think they have two different flavors, you know, depending on uh, the data um, that's consumed there. But but I agree with you, and I think. Um, we're going to hear more about FWA next year, and I think we're going to hear more about FWA from AT&T as well. Um, again, AT&T tends to lead with fiber because, you know, they've built a 10 billion plus business on that. Uh, ARPU is really strong. Um, but, you know, I recently spent time with CEO John Stanky this year, and, and, and they have a, an FWA service. It's more focused on, on business users. But I think we're going we're gonna to see more of that from AT&T come into play um, as we roll into 2023. But with that, um, let's move to my, my prediction for next year. And I know you've got one here in a minute as well. Um, but, you know, my prediction is I believe Open RAN is finally going to hit its stride. Um, you know, there have been a lot of challenges with Open RAN. I mean, one has been around um, coalescing the standards and, and there have been a lot of um, consortiums in play, the ORAN Alliance, the Open RAN Policy Coalition, TIP at one point this year, trying to harmonize both efforts together. And it just takes time to do that and, you know, have the necessary working groups to, to work all of that out. You know, and the other big challenge in my mind has been integration. And so traditionally, 
the Ericsons, the, you know, the Samsungs, the Nokias of the world commanded a pretty, you know, tidy sum for, for putting together these networks, designing these networks and integrating these networks for the mobile network operators. And so, um, so that leaves an opportunity for systems integrators and others to come in and sort of integrate it. And I think that's been one of the challenges and, but you're beginning to see momentum behind that. I think, you know, you're seeing SI step up um, that are getting involved in, you know, private networking projects. And we've talked about some of these, you know, government related, you know, military related. We've talked about some private, you know, uh, 5G network deployments to support transportation and logistics for the Marine Corps as an example. So I think, you know, we're going to definitely see, see more of that next year. And I think, again, it's just taken time. It's a journey. And finally, I believe, you know, things are at a point where standards have matured. You've had two or three, you know, players really arise as being key participants, you know, on, on both the core and the RAN side of things. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, Open RAN should have a really big year next year. But what are your final thoughts there before we move to your prediction? I think Open RAN, I think, I think my, 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 uh, beliefs for open ran are that it will be successful but i think it will take longer than next year okay um i think it's a little bit of a longer horizon um but i do think that it it does fill a necessary um need within um the u.s specifically and i think also europe yeah. um to have more homegrown networking equipment yeah. Um, and to provide competition with, um, you know, the existing vendors, whether they be Ericsson or Nokia or Samsung. Um, and I think that there will be um, continued pressure to make this be successful. Um, but I do think it will probably be um, something that happens more in private networking situations yeah. than I think in, you know, a commercial network. Um, and I think that if we do get open ran in a commercial network, it will probably happen in a 6G. I agree with you. I mean, the the plans were set for 5G, you know, ran, you know, well before the whole open ran thing came together. But to your point, the ability for it to domesticate the 5G supply chain, bring some software defined players, you know, into the mix, I think is super positive. I agree with you. Um, we're going to see it. I believe in greenfield network deployments, DISH in the US, Rakuten in Japan, Reliance in, in India. And it's gonna be, I think, less of a brownfield opportunity until we get to 6G. Um, but uh, not to steal your thunder, because we've been sort of teasing your, your forward-looking prediction this year, but I'll let you take it away. Yes, so I drum think- roll, kind of... Drum roll, please. <laughs> uh, standalone starts to get real momentum there yeah. it is i said it yeah. um i don't really think it's that big of a deal um because i think we've been talking about this and teasing this for the last few weeks if not months yeah um but i think t-mobile made their announcement that you know their low band and mid band is now standalone so they're essentially an all standalone 5g network now um i think the word standalone you're going to hear a lot more of next year Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to hear more from AT&T and Verizon and I think other carriers as well. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason for that is because um, now the networks have become mature enough and have good enough coverage 
where the users can actually take advantage of new use cases and application developers can rely on the ability of the network to deliver speed, latency, network slicing, you know, all the features that were supposed to come with 5G 2001P. Yeah. Um, and now we're getting them 2023, basically. Yeah. Um, the one thing I will say for people who are not as familiar with the 5G standards, uh, we weren't supposed to get 5G in 2019. Uh, it was supposed to be 2020. Mm-hmm. They introduced NSA yeah. to, to, to get us there in 2019. And NSA stuck around a little too long. Yeah. So, you know, you can blame the pandemic for that. Um, you can blame all kinds of things for it. Um, but the reality is, is that we've spent, I think, too long on on NSA. Um, yeah. And that's why I think a lot of people are upset with the experience that they're getting on 5G, yeah. um, whether that's because of DSS or other reasons. But the reality is real 5G is coming next year. Um, and I don't think a lot of people really want to hear that, but that's the truth. Yeah. Um, and I think that's when we'll see developers and operators starting to work to implement new 5G use cases and really make, you know, this thing what it promised to be. I agree. I think, you know, so with standalone, again, just to remind our viewers and listeners that that's, that's matching core components with RAN in a, in a non-standalone scenario. Um, they were basically upgrading the RAN and then, you know, leaving the LTE core. Uh, intact as sort of that tweener, and I agree with you. I think it it kind of it kind of went a little little longer than than people expected, you know. And the other point that you mentioned, um, you know, with T-Mobile as an example, um, they ha- they started building out their low band assets, you know, within standalone, and so now they've moved to mid band. And as you and I have talked on prior podcasts, mid band spectrum provides the best balance of propagation and performance. And, and really, that's where I believe the true promise of 5G is going to be found is within those standalone mid-band spectrum uh, build-outs to provide, you know, that, that optimal balance of performance and coverage. But with that said, my friend, it's been a great year. We've recorded a ton of podcasts. I think I think maybe we only skipped one or two weeks when, when you and I were road warriors um, um, over the last year, but um, I really enjoy doing these with you and I'm looking forward to more next year with you. So why don't you take us home? Likewise. And I also enjoyed doing this. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. Um, we hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting and that if anyone would like to reach out to us to provide insights for a specific 5G, pod to, pod, 5G topic for a future podcast in the new year, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech and I'm at Anshal Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.